Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. We promise a Will Smith, Chris Rock free zone this week. Instead, stunning news out of Hollywood with Bruce Willis announcing he's retiring from acting due to aphasia. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I found The Lost City to be delightful and Nightmare Alley was a dream come true. Plus, I also finally saw The Batman cartoons. But we're going to start with... Moon Knight! We teed it up last week. Now this week, let's discuss the debut of the latest Marvel show to hit Disney Plus, Moon Knight. You really don't remember our adventures or our life together. God, I wish I could. I don't know how to explain what's been happening. I can't tell the difference between lies and dreams. Now only on Disney Plus. We're in the middle of a personal crisis. Experience the six-episode event. Your identities. A mask to hide the scars. They are not something to be feared. But something to be welcomed. You looked different. Marvel Studios Moon Knight, now streaming. Oscar Isaac plays Stephen Grant, a quiet and meek museum gift shop employee with some expertise in Egyptology. He also has blackouts, lots of them, so much so that he binds himself to his bed with restraints on his legs. He puts sand around the bed so he can see footprints. He puts tape on his door to let him know if he's been out or not while he sleeps. And we quickly learn that he's having these blackouts because he has dissociative personality disorder. Another person is living inside him, at least one person. Mark Spector, a mercenary, who also becomes Moon Knight, the Fist of Khonshu. That's the Egyptian god of the moon. Ethan Hawke plays Arthur Harrow, some sort of cult leader who makes questionable footwear decisions. You'll know what we mean in the first 30 seconds of the first episode. And we see in the trailers that he has some rather nifty and scary powers, including the ability to open doorways to another world to let in some monsters. Now, in this first episode, not much happens in terms of action. I mean, there is some cool action, but a lot happens in terms of getting to know Steven's world and how bad his blackout problem is. And like he sometimes finds himself behind the wheel with a gun in his hand. He has no clue how he got there, what he's doing, who he's running from. And eventually we see him become the Moon Knight. And it is such a cool transformation. His costume appears out of nowhere and envelopes him almost in this bandage-style white outfit until he's completely covered with a hood and he's got glowing white eyes. And then he starts laying the smack down. And uh, this series promises to introduce more horror elements. And the Moon Knight is, quite frankly, a brutal and violent hero. Jeff, what did you think? I really, I really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, Disney Plus gave us access to the first four episodes, and I watched them all, so I have a month-long break from Moon Knight now until they get to episode five. Uh, the only thing I would say about the next three episodes are that, you know, the first episode doesn't really give anything close to the full picture of what this show is. Uh, if you haven't seen the first one yet, I would actually recommend wait until Wednesday when the second episode is released and watch those back-to-back, because this really should have been a two-episode premiere the second episode kind of finishes what the first one starts. Not that it explains everything that's going on, but it just gives you a better idea of what this series even is. Because like you said, the, the, 
the first uh, episode only goes so far with the Moon Knight of it all. After that second episode, I was a little worried that the whole thing was going to feel like, you know, it's just a big, long Moon Knight movie that's been heavily padded and randomly chopped into six episodes. But after three and episodes three and four, you know, they felt like episodes three and four and not 45 minute chunks of one long movie. So at least to that degree, it's it's not like that to that degree that some of the other MCU shows have been. This feels more like separate episodes for a thing. So I, I do enjoy that about it. Uh, also worth noting, I think this is the first MCU show we've seen where everyone is new. We, we've not seen the Moon Knight or any of these characters before where the other shows, you know, were all Wanda, Vision, the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, Loki, and Hawkeye, characters we'd seen many, many times over the last 15 years. So that makes Moon Knight, you know, undiscovered territory. And I really like it. Honestly, you'd think by now it would be hard for them to get creative about a new superhero. But this is definitely a different guy than anything we've seen before. And I'm all in. Hopefully it leads to him showing up in movies down the line. I don't know if, you know, we're getting a second season of any of those other shows. I guess Loki had a teaser at the end of season one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Loki's getting yeah. a season two for sure. Right. So I hope we get more Moon Knight, too. Uh, Oscar Isaac, like you said, he's terrific. Uh, his nervous, awkward Stephen is a lot of fun. The British Twitter, though, was aghast at the accent this morning. Oh, uh, I must say <laughs> it didn't care for that at all. I actually had a pause halfway through uh, me watching. I was like, where is is Oscar Isaac British or American or what's his deal? I didn't know. But uh, I am also terrible at uh pinning accents, so didn't bother me at all. His predicament of having to chain himself to his bed and setting up all these booby traps so he'll know if he left the house or not, that was very interesting. It's sort of like the MCU version of uh, what's happening in Fight Club. And I was still surprised that Ethan Hawke was in this, uh, although I don't know why. It's not like Marvel hasn't snagged capital S serious actors before, but this just seems like something that Ethan Hawke would announce is boring and beneath him. But He's here in game enough, it looks like, so uh, that's kind of cool that he's even in this, I thought. Overall, you know, a great addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, they've been doing a decent job kind of rebuilding their stable after uh, Avengers Endgame, and I think Moon Knight might be my favorite new thing in the MCU yet, Brett. Wow. Yeah, I mean, of course, with their late, one of their latest promos where they cherry-picked the best reviews, they found one that said, the best Marvel series ever. Um, there was, a, there's only been a handful of Marvel series already, so I don't know how uh, high that bar is. But uh, it is getting good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at uh, season one, 85%. And I, I only watched the one episode. I was tempted to take advantage of that four episode window and but i just thought no because then i'm just gonna have to wait another as you pointed out a month to to see how the rest of it goes so i'm just going to enjoy this one week at a time so as a, a first episode i think it was a really it was a great introductory episode we just got to know the character we learned what he was dealing with we understand by the end that he is the moon knight and that he uh that there are some monsters in the world and we don't know what he's all about but it's very exciting and i loved oscar isaac and i don't have a i would be curious to know if the accent is a little off on purpose right because i it's my understanding that mark specter is the og person inside this body and then, for whatever reason, this Stephen Grant seems to have come to the fore, and Mark Spector only shows up now when things get really serious. But so maybe this is just Mark Spector trying to do a British accent. I don't know. That was at least one of the early theories on this when people were picking on his accent. 
Who cares? It's a comic book show, and Oscar Isaac is a great actor. He's so committed to this role, too. So it looked like it looks like he's having fun. And I was looking at interviews with Ethan Hawke as well, and he looked like he was having a good time. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. I love how they made the costume alive. Like it's not just a costume that he that he puts on. And I also like that this is um it's sort of straying from the comics. Because at least in the uh, original comics, and it's been a while since I've read a Moon Knight comic, but he he used to have he was basically Batman. Like he he was super rich. He had a butler named Frenchie. He had like a moon copter. Uh, so this is there's none of that present here. I don't know if there that's their plan for down the road, but I like that he's just that we're we're seeing this through his eyes because we're sort of learning about Moon Knight as. Stephen Grant is learning about Moon Knight, so I think that's not actually a bad way to tell this story, to introduce us to this relatively unknown character. I mean, unless you're hardcore into comic books, you're not going to know who Moon Knight is. So good job, Marvel. Great stuff. And uh, can't wait to see more. And I really hope that they... I don't know that they're doing a second season of this, but I can't imagine uh, that we. this will be the last we see of Moon Knight. I'm sure he'll pop up in the movies or whatnot. So... Cool stuff. In a moment, we're going to switch gears. We have to talk about what happened this week with Bruce Willis. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And time now to talk about Bruce Willis. John McClain, NYPD. On a good day, he's a great cop. You don't like me because I'm white. I don't like you because you're going to get me killed. On a bad day, he's the best there is. On May 19th, McLean is back. You got a triple-A card? Bruce Willis, die hard, this time with a vengeance. Rated R. Die Hard with a V. I watched that one last night. It's one of my very favorite movies of all time. And last year... I took a few minutes during one of our shows to ask what was up with Bruce Willis's career, and now we know what was up with it, and it is a real bummer. I mean, it's a bummer for us. It's devastating for him, I'm sure. His family announced this week he was basically retiring from acting because he has aphasia, a neurological disorder that makes communicating difficult, not great for anyone, and obviously impossible for an actor to work with. Now, as it turns out, his aphasia is behind his curious run of straight-to-streaming low-budget movies of recent years. I think I read somewhere He's made 22 movies in the last four years, most of which he worked on for just one or two days with a price tag of a million dollars per day. Bad movies, good payday, but made you wonder why not better movies and a better payday because, as it turns out, one or two days was all he could physically give to any production at a time. So he couldn't do better movies because they would want him there for weeks, if not months at a time. There's an excellent story in the LA Times about all this. Look it up if you're interested. They talked to people that worked on these low-budget movies, many of whom would only do one movie with Willis because they felt like they were taking advantage of a man who wasn't healthy. He would wear an earpiece sometimes and be fed his lines because he couldn't remember them. Things like that. It's all very heartbreaking, to be honest. You hate to see a champ go out like that. 
I will say, though, it is a more noble ending to his career than what we were giving him credit for because the, on, the going theory for the last couple of years was that he was just being lazy and not wanting to put the effort into making a quality movie and just grabbing these easy paychecks. Turns out it wasn't easy at all for him. And the directors of these movies say he was giving it his all in those short bursts in production, but they're just bad movies. So even a good actor can look bad in a bad movie. So, uh, you know, a rather tragic end to the career of a man who was such a fun movie star for so long, for decades. The Die Hards, Pulp Fiction, The Sixth Sense, Armageddon is a ton of fun. The Fifth Element has a cult following. On and on and on it goes. I mean, thanks to the ride, Bruno. Good luck on the road ahead. Uh, Brett, this was... Uh, Brutal news to hear this week. What did you think about it? I was stunned to hear it, and it was one of those unfortunate, ah, well, now it makes sense. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I felt, I think one of the first things I felt was guilt because we, as you pointed out, just re recently in 2021, we were both kind of mocking him and his career and, and laughing about it. And, like, he got nominated, for example, the, the Razzies, for the 42nd edition of the Golden Raspberry Awards, which, if you don't know what the Razzies are, they're basically the anti-Oscars. Um, it's, it's a ceremony that honors the worst that the film industry has in a given year, and they always do them at the same time as the Oscars. And uh, so things like worst supporting actor, worst uh, prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel. I've got... Uh, uh, <laughs> um, the Razzie Redeemer Award goes to Will Smith for King Richard. That's funny. Um, and but for they, they've got an entire category here dedicated to Bruce Willis. It's worst performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 movie. Uh, it went to a movie called Cosmic Sin. But one, two. And the fun of that was yeah, count them off because there was like eight movies, right? Yeah, eight movies. Yeah. Uh, as you pointed out, 22 in four years, but he was super busy in 2021. And I guess that's probably because he knew that the end of the line was coming. So he wanted to get in all these paydays while he could, so he could provide more for his family. So I just felt really bad about that. The Razzies did, by the way, just like within an hour before we started uh, recording our show, we record this on Thursdays at noon Winnipeg time, and they had been previously discussing what to do, how do they address their Bruce Willis Award, and they have now rescinded the award. Uh, I guess they're just going to strike it from the record. Kevin Smith also um, has apolog he's apologizing for comments he's made. So I think a lot of you're probably going to hear a lot of this kind of stuff, like because Kevin Smith has been very critical about Bruce Willis after his experience where he directed him in that movie. What was it? Cop out? Cop out. Yeah. And he's, he's, yeah, he said, uh, Bruce Willis was not engaged and difficult and all these things, but clearly, you know, Willis was hiding, uh, what was going on with himself and would come across like that. If you didn't know what was happening inside, inside Bruce Willis. Yeah. I wonder how long he's been dealing with this. Do you know? Yeah, him? it's, I, I, I wondered that too. And like, we were talking to, I was talking with some other of our colleagues uh, earlier today, and it was like, you know, to want to hide it to the point that you accept being sort of like a laughing sock these last few years, like he must have known what people thought about, you know what I mean? Because we, we aren't the only ones to have made fun of Bruce Willis in the last four years, for sure, and he must have known that, but to rather not, you know be public with his illness and just take that that's that's a kind of pain i wish we could take back from him yeah and what in the, the the condition aphasia that uh 
I had heard of it, but I knew very little about it. Uh, so to know that he, it's not dementia, to know that he still has his faculties, but he just has difficulty, as you pointed out, communicating. So imagine dealing with that all the time, like you and I both as radio broadcasters, sometimes we have days where we just can't spit it out for whatever reason. Everybody has off days at work, and there are some days where the connection between my brain and my mouth just doesn't seem to function. And I know it's just temporary, but it's just one of those, it's so frustrating when that happens, when I can, I have the thought in my head, and I just can't make it come out of my face. So to deal with this to the point where he has to retire, doing the thing that he loves doing, and doing the thing that he that he's made so many people happy for so long uh, it really is it, like you said it's a bummer he was he single-handedly changed action films right oh absolutely die hard was one of the biggest game changers in the history of cinema at least you know pertaining to the genre that it's in for sure and it remains to this day i still say it is the best action movie i watched die hard with a vengeance because uh i think that one's like Die Hard One is a better movie, but Die Hard Three is the most fun of the Die Hards, and uh, I was, like you said, I was bummed out by this news, and I wanted to watch really fun Bruce Willis movie last night, so that's what I watched. Hey, speaking of fun movies, Jeff's got a review of a fun one starring Sandra Bullock, and as he once called him, Tatum Channing. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and I went to see the number one movie in the country last weekend. Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum star. In the Lost City. What is this? Taken? Am I taken? Ah! Alan? I'm here to save you. Ow! She has the key to finding the lost treasure. After them! I am driving. Oh, 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 oh! 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 oh. What is that? Just pick it and fling it. You pick it and fling it! Don't make that sound. Getting you out of here. Why are you so handsome? My dad was a weatherman. The Lost City, March 25th. The Lost City, number one at the box office last weekend, raking in $31 million. And it's a fun movie. It's the kind of thing you don't see much of anymore. It's an adventure rom-com that doesn't star any kids. It is not made for kids. Although most of the stuff here is quite tame, save for a pretty gross blood spatter moment. But beyond that, kids could watch this movie. But it's not made directly for kids. Bullock plays a romance novelist who has just completed her latest book called The Lost City of D. She has to go on a book tour, which she is reluctant to do because her husband died a few years ago and she's become a recluse. She would just rather stay home. But she goes to this fan event and also on the panel is Alan, a.k.a. Dash, played by Channing Tatum, who happens to be the cover model for all her spicy novels. So he's the Fabio of this world, but he's even dumber. We also learn that Bullock's character years ago studied ancient societies and her late husband was an archaeologist. And it turns out that some of the stuff in her book relates to actual history, an actual Lost City. Enter Mega Rich Villain, played by Daniel Radcliffe, who wants to find the treasure of this lost city and kidnaps Sandra Bullock to make her help him find it. Channing Tatum then takes it upon himself to try to rescue her, and we're off and running. Most of the movie is the two of them in the jungle on this little island trying to escape the bad guys, and hilarious antics ensue. If it sounds like the 1980s movie Romancing the Stone, 
Well, it pretty much is. Kathleen Turner was also a romance novelist in that movie, so it's a pretty direct homage. And if you keep your eyes on the background of the hotel lobby at that book launch panel scene at the beginning of the movie, you'll find a little tip of the hat to the Romancing the Stone movie. I thought I, I saw it, and I was very proud of myself for catching that, although it's quite obvious. There are some great uh, supporting roles in the movie. Daniel Radcliffe is very funny, as I mentioned. Divine Joy Randolph, who plays the detective in... The TV show Only Murders in the Building plays uh, Bullock's publisher here and is very funny as well. Oscar Nunez from The Office shows up and just steals a couple of scenes he's in. He, I, I was the most pleasant surprise of this movie, I think. And then uh, Brad Pitt, who you may have seen in the advertising, is also here for a little bit. He's not in it a lot, so don't go in thinking this is a Brad Pitt movie. Pretty sure he worked, you know, three days on a tropical island for a big suitcase full of money. How could you say no to that? Mostly, though, it is the Sandra and Channing show, and like I said, it's a lot of fun. They have great chemistry. It's nice to see the reversal in ages, for one thing, compared to what you usually get in this sort of thing. we got an older woman, younger man scenario. And they both play what you would expect of them in something like this. Channing Tatum as a dumb guy is one of my favorite comedy characters of the last 20 years. Those 21 Jump Street movies he was in, for example. So it was right up my alley what he was bringing to this. And Bullock, of course, has the gravitas and the screen presence of a major movie star, but also isn't afraid to look silly either. So that's just you know, as it has for the last 25, 30 years, just made her more endearing to audiences. She is Sandra Bullock in every movie she's in. She is no less the same in this. So it was a pleasure to spend less than two hours with them on this adventure. Yes, I'm pleased to report the movie comes in under two hours, 148 or something like that. Very refreshing after seeing the three-hour-long The Batman a couple of times in the last few weeks. It's a light, breezy movie. No giant stakes, no heavy drama. The perfect counterbalance to the end of award season. It's only trying to be fun, and it accomplishes its goal. Some of the laughs don't land, but a lot of them do. Uh, my girlfriend Kim and I laughed out loud several times. We chuckled throughout. There are a lot of really great throwaway lines peppered on the margins of this movie that are often the funniest parts of scenes. Probably not the way they designed it, but a nice little bonus now. Nevertheless, uh, it's good times. Go see it. You deserve to have a laugh. Four couch cushions out of five for The Lost City in theaters now. And as far as new movies go this weekend, we have a movie called Morbius. This is the latest Marvel character appearing on screen via Sony. So that's the Spider-Man, their, their, their own little separate kind of Spider-Man universe. And Morbius is a bad guy in the Spider-Man comics. So they describe it as one of the most compelling and conflicted characters in Sony Pictures' universe of Marvel characters. Comes to the big screen as Oscar winner Jared Leto transforms into the enigmatic anti-hero Michael Morbius, dangerously ill with a rare blood disorder and determined to save others suffering his same fate, Dr. Morbius attempts a desperate gamble. While at first it seems to be a radical success, a darkness inside him is unleashed. Will good override evil or will Morbius succumb to his mysterious new urges? Here's a chunk from that trailer. Michael, what have you done? I was trying to help people. But the cure. It's a curse. Michael. I have powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a choice to hunt and consume blood. 
or die. We all have monsters within us. It's up to us to control it. What if I can't? All right, so uh, this what I feared is is coming to pass. I've been I've been kind of curious about this movie, but the Sony movies have not been quite as good. Like the first Venom movie was, it was sort of fun, but in a weird campy way, and I don't like that they went campy with that character. I think the Venom character is supposed to be big, mean, and scary, and I still haven't seen Venom Let There Be Carnage, but it looks like it's fun. But sixteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes for Morbius, scathing. Headline from the Globe and Mail. Atrocious Spider-Man spin-off Morbius represents the absolute natter of superhero cinema. All right. From the London Evening Standard. A cash grab so sloppy, it makes you wonder if the top brass at Sony are nihilistic members of the undead. <laughs> oh, my God. Good one. And one more from Nerdist. And there are, there are lots. But Nerdist says... Morbius is a perfunctory, sloppy, paint-by-numbers attempt to remind audiences that Sony has the rights to these Spider-Man villains, and by golly, they're gonna use them. (laughs) So I guess proceed with caution. Just buyer beware. If you go see Morbius and you hate it, that's probably because it's not a very good movie. In a moment, we are going to hear about a very good movie, a Best Picture nominee. Jeff completed his quest this past week, and I went... Down the Batman road, but not the road I was expecting. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brad. Of course, Coda won Best Picture at the Oscars last weekend. And before every year's Oscars, I try to watch all the Best Picture nominees. I've been successful, I think, since 2017. And for the 10 years before that, I'd usually see most of them. There'd be one or maybe two that I wouldn't see. But this weekend, before the Oscars, I finished Sunday morning. I did see 10 of 10, and Nightmare Alley was the last one I saw. It was nominated for a handful of Oscars. Didn't win any of them, but hey, history's littered with great movies that didn't win, and this is one of them. What is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Nightmare Alley is a Critics' Choice Award nominee for Best Picture of the Year. People are desperate to tell you who they are. Desperate to be seen. Nominated for Best Director, Guillermo del Toro. What do I want? Bradley Cooper delivers one of the year's best performances. You're not as hard to read as you think. And Kate Blanchett is the iciest femme fatale in ages in one of the best films of the year. Let the mirrors show you who you are. Nightmare Alley, rated R, only in theaters Friday. Nightmare Alley, available now to stream on Disney+. And like the clip there said, it comes from director Guillermo del Toro, who did win Oscars with his last movie, 2017's The Shape of Water, for which uh, my girlfriend is still not forgiving me for making her watch. I don't know why that's my fault, but apparently it is. I liked it. I liked that movie. Uh, but, you know, with almost all things Guillermo del Toro, there were some disturbing images, fingers in the case of The Shape of Water, that kept me from going back to it. But that's just his way. He loves horror. Even though he often works in things that aren't explicitly horror, but he just cranks up the dial a little, tries to make them a little more horrific than you would expect. And that's why it took me until now to see Nightmare Alley. I mean, he has the word nightmare right there in the title, and I knew it was set at a Depression-era carnival, so I could only imagine what he had in store. But to my surprise, wasn't too gross. There is one shot in the first few minutes of a chicken getting its head bit off, and an ear gets shot later on in the movie. It's kind of dangling, gross to look at. But overall, nothing too disturbing 
disturbing visually. The story, though, has some disturbing elements, especially the inevitable conclusion, which I won't get into, of course, but I did see coming ahead of time, and I saluted the screen. Bravo, Mr. Del Toro, you've done it again. Nightmare Alley and really The Shape of Water both feel like a lot like fairy tales in many ways. So for Nightmare Alley to have the ending it does have, I found that was welcome because if he was going for something more realistic, it'd be a little too on the nose, too predictable. But he's made a film noir here, which of course was a very common style in the late 30s and 40s when this was set. And that always looks cool. And this looks very slick, filled with Hollywood gloss and shine. I follow Guillermo del Toro on Twitter, and he often shows off these little model characters from different sci-fi and horror movies that he paints by hand as a hobby. And that attention to detail on such a small scale is always reflected in his movies. Everything is just so, and the screen is just filled. The, the, your eye can go anywhere in that screen, and there's all this detail in there. And again, it sort of adds to the fairy tale feeling of everything. Yada, yada, yada. This movie is gorgeous. So... What's it about? Well, it opens with Bradley Cooper's Stanton leaving home with a definite finality about it and taking the bus to nowhere in particular, it seems. He does arrive in a town that has a carnival set up, so he takes a look. He does need a job, and the carnival owner, Clem, played by Willem Dafoe, gives him some work helping out here and there, including with the illegal freak show that he runs, wherein the so-called geek that they keep caged up is unleashed in a pit with a live chicken, which he then slaughters and eats raw while people watch on in shock and horror. The story behind how that geek came to be Clem's prisoner in Sideshow is where the term Nightmare Alley comes in, and that whole story is really something else. Soon, Stanton is shifted over to help the Mentalist Act, run by Tony Collette and David Strathairn. He soon learns the tricks of that trade and tries his hand at it himself. He's an ambitious guy, and the movie is sort of about his rise as a mentalist and the perils of being greedy and things like that. Stanton finds a few marks and foils along the way, most notably Kate Blanchett, a psychologist who immediately makes him for the hustler he is, but is also drawn to something about him and wants to find out more. It's an interesting story. It's well acted by everyone. It's a very interesting world to visit. And again, Del Toro is such a gifted filmmaker, both in style and in storytelling, that this movie is weirdly comforting to watch because you know you're in good hands. You know that this is going to deliver you something. Uh, in the end, it will have been worth the ride. And like I said, it's not too gross. What it is, though, is too long. It's two and a half hours, a full two and a half. And I don't think it would have been hard to shave 15 or 20 minutes out of this movie. But again, like I said, he won Oscars last time around. So I guess he has final cut from here on out. And he can make the movies as long as he wants to. But that aside, this is a great movie. Four couch cushions out of five for Nightmare Alley. I highly recommend watching it. It's streaming now on Disney+. And this week I was watching something on Crave, or I saw a commercial for Crave, and I was kind of curious because the commercial featured the Batman, like clips from the new Batman movie, which is still in theaters. I still haven't seen that yet. I thought, is this already on Crave? Like, is this one of those, you know, because the pandemic's been weird that way with movies getting earlier home releases. So I went to Crave to see if it was there. It was not. But what I did find was a treasure trove of Batman cartoon films. So I kind of dove in. Uh, only got a couple of minutes here. So I'll just tell you that uh, one of them was The Dark Knight Returns which came out, part one came out in 2012. I can't believe it's been that long already because I remember when, when uh, you know, people in the that 
community, you know, the geeks, they were super excited about this. Part 2 came out in 2013. It's based on the iconic comic book miniseries from Frank Miller from 1986, where Bruce Wayne is 55 years old, comes out of superhero retirement to try to save Gotham from falling into total despair. He tangles with gangs, the Joker, Two-Face, the U.S. government, even Superman, and the comic series is heralded as one of the greatest of all time, most influential of all time, reintroducing a darker version of Batman and, quite frankly, a darker version of superheroes altogether. The movies are cool, too, Batman is voiced by Peter Weller, which I thought was a nice choice for the older, more grizzled and grumpy Batman. Each part is roughly an hour 15. I really, really enjoyed those. Also, I watched... Now, this one's actually not on Crave, it's, but it is available on demand. Like, I have Shaw Cable, and uh, I have it... So, because I've got Adult Swim, I guess it's in their library. I don't know. There's just... Too many, too many on-demand libraries. I just uh, hold my hold my Shaw microphone up to my face and say the long Halloween and see what comes up. <laughs> um, so this is another story that's regarded as one of the best Batman stories ever told. And uh, while I have read The Dark Knight Returns, I've not yet read The Long Halloween. It's based on a thirteen-episode limited series from nineteen ninety-six. It's set in. Uh, early in Batman's career, and there's a grisly murder, and it turns out that this killer is only killing people on holidays. They simply the, the killer simply comes to be known as Holiday. So he teams up with uh, Commissioner or Captain Gordon and the DA Harvey Dent to try to find this killer and also take down the Falcone crime family to take down the Roman, the head of the family, but. Um, Things go bad, and Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face, and the Joker's in there, and a whole bunch of other Batman villains are in there. And Jensen Ackles is the voice of Batman here. Dean Winchester from Supernatural. So that well, I think that's what made me watch it for sure. It's like, Jensen Ackles is the voice of Batman? I'm sold. So that's really good, too. And that's uh, got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. The first part of The Dark Knight Returns was 100%. The second part didn't have enough reg- reviews to even register, but I think they were all good. And uh, I, for- even, I, for- I forgot. Even as we were putting the show together, I watched Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which came out in 1993 and was sort of a feature film version of the Batman animated series that was out at the time. And I don't think I'd ever seen it, but I've never heard anything but good about that movie. So that was good. I see they've also got on Crave Batman Year One. Uh, So I think I might watch that. And I got I still got to find the Batman Lego movie somewhere, but I just checked that Just Watch app, and it doesn't appear to be on any streamers. Um, and I'm too cheap to rent a movie right now, so what? Well, there's too much other stuff to watch, so why pay the five bucks when I can just watch something else? I'll see it eventually. Anyway, that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.